Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. You're so special, God wrote to you. <laughs> Did you know that? Did you realize that? Yes, amen. I said, you're so special that God wrote you a letter. Absolutely. Just wrote you a letter. Sent it personally to you. This is for you. Directed to your heart, directed to your life, to your mind. That should make you feel special, amen? amen. Book of Revelation, if you're trying to find somewhere to start, we'll start there. That's a good place. Amen. Chapter 1, you say, what are you preaching from Revelation for? Well, you'll see in a minute. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. <laughs> but before we start reading from the Word of God, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy written Word. Knowing that we can trust our lives to its provisions, we invite the Holy Ghost to unveil to our spirits and to enlighten us with regard to your word, to quicken us according unto your word, that we may go forth as doers of this word, not hearers only. We thank you for ears to hear, heart to understand and receive, and minds that are open to it. Father, I thank you for utterance, to proclaim it with boldness and accuracy, that our faith would not stand in men's wisdom, but in the power of the living God. We'll give you all the glory for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 5 of chapter 1, Revelation, it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, Jesus is our faithful witness. He's the first begotten from the dead. He is the prince of the kings of the earth, and he loved us enough to wash us from our sins in his own blood. That's, that's enough in itself, isn't it? But then it goes on to say that he hath made us. Well, what is hath made? Is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? That means he hath made us something. Well, what hath he made us? He made us kings and priests unto God. Well, that means at the moment of our salvation, you became a king and a priest unto God. Did you know that? Well, do you know how to function as one or operate as one, a king and a priest unto God? See, sometimes that's a little bit blind to us. You think of a priest today, and you know you have this idea of somebody, you know, robed, in, in their priestly garments and all that and functioning in, in that office and, you know, being ordained to perform religious services and all that. And you say, well, that's not me. I don't walk around that way. Well, I'm not talking about that kind of priest. I'm talking about a priest of the Most High God. See, we can't relate to that. It's hard for us to relate. In Old Testament, what they used to do is just offer up animal sacrifices and, you know, go through all the rituals that they had to perform before God. It was their duty to do all these different things. We know that that's true. Isn't that true? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you weren't set apart as, as being one of the, uh, those chosen out of Levitical priesthood, then you didn't know what it meant to be a priest. You weren't one. You didn't function in that office. Well, today, if you're a born-again child of God, you have become a priest. And as a priest in New Testament times, we're not to offer up animal sacrifices. But we're to offer up what? Spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God, according to 1 Peter 2 and verse 5. Acceptable to God, which is our responsibility, and it's our duty as priest unto God. Is that the first thing on our mind in the morning time when we get up? Do we think that we're a priest before God? We're priests before God. It's my responsibility, and it's my duty to do what? To function in that office. Which means to do what? To offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. And the spiritual sacrifices, is that, is that something that flows out of your spirit unto God? 
You know, lifting up of your holy hands before his presence could be a spiritual sacrifice. And a sacrifice means that you have to sacrifice. That's why it's called a sacrifice. You know, maybe you don't feel like doing it. Maybe there's not enough time or whatever, but you take the time, you make the time, you sacrifice something so that you see to it that you function in that office as God would have you to function in it. And so somewhat we can relate to that, see. And there's a lot that we can talk about with regard to that, but we're talking about the, the kingly part, not just being priests unto God. As priests, we do that. We offer up spiritual sacrifices. But what do we do as a king? What does a king do? He gets up in the morning and puts on his crown, sits down on his throne, and just starts barking <laughs> orders, right? <laughs> well, can you really relate to that? I mean, there weren't many kings. You think way back when, in Old Testament times, there was one king. And he would reign for so many years. And there was another king. He'd reign for so many years. There was another king. You know. And really, only those that were on the inside, they saw what he did. But what's it mean to be a king in the day in which we live? You say, well, why is that so important? Well, if Jesus died to make me one, I better think about it. Amen? And I better learn what it means to operate as a king. You see what I'm saying? It's foreign to our thinking because, you know, you're not a king in the natural. And you don't know what it means to be one. Well, you're not the president of the United States either, are you? If you are, inform me. Let me know. We've got some things we want to get done. <laughs> I want to talk to you after the service. <laughs> and so in actuality, you don't know what it means to operate or function as the president of the United States. What does he do? You know. Well, as a king, we have to find out what it is that God would have us do. What's it mean to be a king? We talked about this last Wednesday night. I'm just giving you a little bit of a review. And in the book of Romans 5 and verse 17 in the Amplified Bible, it says, We are to, as kings, reign in life by one Christ Jesus, or through Christ Jesus our Lord. As a king, we are to reign in life. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Well, are we reigning in life? Well, what does all that mean? Well, the word reign there means to be in supreme authority. To reign, to rule over circumstances in actuality. But it means to have a... Uh, an authority or to have a prevailing force or influence or power in your life that is granted you or given you. And so you're a person who is to reign or exercise authority or power or an influence. And then we went on to say that it's in life. It's not in heaven. Things are going to get better when we get into the sweet by and by and all that. People have that mentality. Well, that's not the case. It's not talking about when you get to heaven, talking about in life. And what does that mean? What does in life mean? To reign as kings in life. What does it mean to reign in life as a king? Well, in life it's talking about spiritual matters. It's talking about emotional matters. It's talking about physical matters. It's talking about life's circumstances, life's trials, life's uh, difficulties, life's uncertainties. All kinds of things that pertain to us in this life in which we live. How many of you have found out that there are some roadblocks in life? Are there a few disappointments? There may be a few here and there. There are some difficulties to life. How many of you recognize that? It's not a bed of roses, is it? No. In other words, there's going to be certain things we face. What about persecutions? Ever been persecuted? Ever experienced tribulations? Trials? Certainly we have. And so, once again, you see, he's saying here that as a king, and that is Romans 5.17, we are to reign in life. To reign, exercise authority in life, in life over circumstances, situations, trials, tribulations, persecutions, difficulties. You know, all kinds of things that come our way in life, no matter what they may be. Life is a challenge, beloved, and you know that as well as I do. Life is a challenge. But you see, Jesus died to make us kings in life. And as a king, 
And what is a king? A king is one who holds a high position of authority. It is one who is of high rank, who is given that position of honor, that place of authority. It's anyone who reigns in that high place or position of authority. Well, beloved, we've been raised up together with him and made to sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Your seat is not on the Senate. It's not on the House of Representatives. It's not in that office. It's not uh, in our judicial system or anything like that, our government system. In actuality, you have a seat. See, we never view it that way before. You have a seat. I have a seat. Where? With Christ. What does it mean to have a seat with Christ? It means to be a joint heir. An heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus and we're seated with him. And don't just think that is a view that as being a chair that you're sitting on, just, you know, milling around having a good time. We're talking about seated, just as they are seated, the House of Representatives, the Senate, whatever it is, wherever your seat is, your position is, your, your rank, your office, you have a seat. You are seated. You have a high position. You have a place of authority. You are of high rank. You are of royal blood. You are a king. Do you see that? And you have a seat. And you have most authority where? In your own life. And you're to reign as a king. As one who holds all authority in your own life. Reign over what? Circumstances, situations, trials, tribulations, and all these different things. It's important to know, beloved. Because you see, once again, we're, that's foreign to our thinking. We don't know what it means to be a king sitting on a throne. Again, giving orders and doing all those different things like they do. But in actuality, if you viewed yourself as you really are, seated with Christ in the heavenlies, made a king. Not by any effort of your own. Nothing that you've done has made you this king or, or placed you in that high position of authority or honor. It's all because of the work of Christ who loves you enough to wash you from your sins and make you one. He made you one. Who made you king? Who gave you a position of authority? You going to argue with him? Can you see that? Now, the devil will argue with you. But who are you going to, you know, rather, I'd rather argue with the devil than God. Jesus made you a king. Jesus gave you authority. Jesus gave you power. He gave you a position. He gave you a seat. You think you were voted in by the devil and his bunch? No. Uh-uh. Only took one vote. He voted for you. <laughs> Amen. Amen. He gave you that place, that position of honor and authority. Now, if he didn't want you to reign, he wouldn't have placed you there. If he didn't think you could reign, he wouldn't have given you the office. Can you see you're an heir of God? You're seated with him at the father's right hand. That's the position that you hold. You are a king. Boy, let that just sink on in. If I give you enough time, let that sink on in. You probably run around this church building before this night's over. You are a king under God. And you can reign in life, see over life circumstances, but it's not something that you do apart from Him. The last part of that verse says, through Christ. Through Christ. That means when you stand up, if you ever get off that throne of yours, and you use the authority that you have, and you speak out in Jesus' name, see, you do that. Can you understand this? If you're doing it through Christ, it means that Christ is standing right there behind you, backing up everything that you do. 
You can do all things through Christ, who is the one who imparts to you the ability, the power, the wisdom, the might, whatever it is that you need. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in the Amplified, it just says that who imparts to me or infuses in me that whatever it is that I need to be equal to any task in life. Whatever it is that I face in life, he imparts to me the spiritual force, energy, power the might that I need to overcome. Or to deal with it or to rise up victorious in it. And we said there's going to be unfavorable things. There's going to be uncertainties. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be difficulties. But the idea is this. We're not overcome by those things. The bottom line is we will still reign. You know, you can still reign as a king in life if a loved one dies and departs and goes to be off in glory. Did you know that? And what you'll be reigning over is the spirit of grief. Because, you know, if you know that that loved one is in glory, grief will try to reign over you. But he has empowered you. He has enabled me. Do you see that? With his ability to rise up above the storm of grief. And say, no, I'm not giving you jurisdiction over my life. There is a, a proper period of, of grieving, a mourning over the loss of a loved one. But you see, if it's out of control, then the spirit of grief will overtake that person and destroy that person. And you'll be devastated by it. And God doesn't want that. He wants us to reign over that. See? And so we're saying that there are situations in some cases that you have no control over. But you still have control over your own life that you can deal with a situation such as that and rise up victorious. Can you see that? Amen. Amen. And so we thank God for that. Well, here's how I'm thinking about how a king reigns. Think about this. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says in 8.4 that where the word of a king is, there's what? There's power. Where the word of a king is. He gets things done by speaking words. Do you realize that things that you say about your own life are important? The things I say about my life are important? Exactly. Absolutely. Well, the word of a king is, and now see, you're a king. And when you say something, when you proclaim something, when you speak out something, if you recognize that you are seated with him as an Arab God, a joiner with Jesus... You have a, a voice in the matter, a word to speak, to proclaim. You realize that when that word that you speak aligns with the word of God, do you imagine, can you imagine how much power there is there? Can you imagine how much power is there, there is right there? If God's word is all powerful and you're hooking up with the word of God and you are seated where you belong on that seat of authority, that place of distinction, recognize, just as Jesus is, because you're an Arab God, a joiner with Jesus, when you speak out that word where that word of the king is, there is power. And where does that king have most authority? In his own domain. Isn't that true? You get beyond the borders of your own domain and you, that power diminishes, doesn't it? In other words, he can't rule in another territory. Over people that live in another territory. He's only the king of Israel. Do you see that? He's not the king of Egypt. He doesn't reign in Egypt. His word has no power in Egypt, does it? No. But it certainly does over there in Israel. And that means in your life, you see that you have authority and you have power. And you can reign as a king in life by lining up with the word of God. By speaking the word of God. 
And, and as you align with the Word of God and speak the Word of God, the two of you agreeing together become the most powerful force on earth. And that's why when you said one day, I refuse darkness, I choose to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, I refuse Satan and his cohorts and his demons and, and his destiny, and I choose to make Jesus my Lord, you realize that all the powers behind the forces of the kingdom of darkness were unable to keep you in that kingdom? You changed kingdoms. You're no longer in that territory. He delivered you from the authority or the power of the kingdom of darkness. He translated you into a new kingdom. Jesus is now your king of kings. Well, he's the king. He's the king of us kings. Amen. And the Lord of lords. Right. Absolutely. We're in a new kingdom. We don't have to listen to the word of the devil. Because his word has no jurisdiction. He has no authority over our lives any longer. But if he can deceive us and make us believe a lie, can you see that? And you know, it doesn't take too much for him to make us think bad about ourselves. How many of you know that? Well, you know me, I'm just nothing but an old worm in the dust, just barely getting along in this life. And, you know, I just, I'm afraid of everything and, and I'm never going to mount anything. God, that's exactly what the devil wants you to believe about yourself. Who walks around in the morning and says, I'm a king under God, hallelujah. I'm born of the Spirit, washed in the blood, I'm a king, and I have a place, I have a position of authority and honor, and God, I, God, I, I'm hooked up with God, I'm an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You see, that takes convincing. I can do all things. That takes convincing. All things are possible to me. That takes convincing. Why? Because we have low self-esteem in most cases. A poor self-image. We don't see who we are in Him. We see ourselves... As we see ourselves in the mirror of life, we see our faults, our failures, our shortcomings. We see our inabilities and all that stuff and our imperfections. And as a result, it's easy for the enemy to reign over our lives by injecting thoughts into our reasoning faculties. It'd be okay, you see, if you were just better. But you're not good enough to reign as a king. Oh, now that fellow over there is good enough to reign as a king because, you see, he does this, this, and this. You know? Your being made a king has nothing to do with so-and-so over there, or brother do that over here. has nothing to do with it. Jesus washed you with his own blood, and he made you one. Whether or not you operate as one is up to you, and the understanding that you have of what it means to be a king. You know, every day we can, we can fulfill the function of a priest and worship God. How many of you know that? But you know what? Sometimes I think what we've done as far as the office of a king, you see, as, as a priest, we, we know we can worship God. But as a king, we try to get God just to do it all. And he's trying to say, wait a minute, I made you king in your own domain. Can you see that? I made you king in your own domain. Now, you know what? I've given you authority and power. Why don't you just start ruling? Did you hear that? Start ruling. Start reigning. Start exercising your authority. You know, if you didn't tell the devil to get out of your life in the first place, he wouldn't have. Amen. If you didn't say, darkness, leave, I, I renounce you, he, he wouldn't have left. Do you realize that? Amen. It's only when you gave Jesus liberty to move into your life that he came. He said, I'm standing out at the door knocking. Amen. It's because you made a decision and you called upon the name of the Lord. God honored your word and, and a miracle took place. Amen. It doesn't stop at the new birth, beloved. It doesn't stop there. In actuality, it, it, it deals with every aspect of our lives. God wants us to see that that's how we got saved, but it's also how we get delivered and set free. It's also how we get healed in our bodies. It's also how we get our financial needs met. It's also how we get strengthened with the strength of God. 
We speak words as kings, and as the word goes forth out of our lips that harmonizes with the word of God, things take place in the spiritual world that affect us in the emotional and physical world in which we live. Why? Because you're a king. Can you see that? You are a king. I'm going to say that so many times, you're going to walk in out here knowing that I better polish my crown. <laughs> Just get that thing all bright and shiny, man. I'm a king. Now, you don't go with arrogance. You go with understanding. Because the last thing a king is going to be is, is arrogant. You need to be humble. And we'll see that in a minute. Some things I want to share with us now that will help us to better understand how to operate as a king. If you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we can call some of these the essential knowledge that we need or the how to reign as a king. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 really corresponds to what Paul said in Romans chapter 5 verse 17. He said, through the abundance of grace and gift of righteousness, we're to reign in life as kings. See, if we can be ignorant of the grace of God, if Satan can keep us ignorant of the grace of God, then he can affect us as far as reigning as kings in life. Can you see that? See, all this has to do with knowledge. Do you know why the enemy has worked so hard to fill our minds with religious tradition? It makes null and void the word of God. Also, it nullifies the grace of God. Did you know that? you realize that? It will nullify the grace of God. Remember Paul the Apostle said, writing to the church, the Galatian church, has said that their religious tradition and wanting to keep the law did what? It frustrated the grace of God. That means it nullifies it. It nullifies the grace of God. God's grace can't be effective in our lives if we're going to live under the, the law or religious tradition. See? Although it's powerful, it's powerless to us. It's not going to manifest itself in our lives like God would have it to manifest. And so we can frustrate the grace of God if we don't understand it and its operation. Well, he said over there in that verse in Romans 5, 17, it's through the abundance of grace and gift of righteousness that we do what? We reign as kings in life. Well, this is the how-to then, isn't it? The abundance of God's grace enables us to reign as kings in life. It's also the gift of righteousness that enables us to reign as kings in life. And we'll share some other thoughts too. But in 1 Corinthians and chapter 15, and let's take a look at verse 9. Here the Apostle Paul is speaking. And in verse 9 he says, For I am the least of the apostles that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. Now stop right there. In his own estimation of himself, what did Paul say? I'm really not worthy to, to have this honor. I'm not worthy to hold this office. I, really, in a natural, there's no reason why this gift of ministry should have been bestowed upon me. Why? I persecuted the church. How many of you know that Paul persecuted the church? He was having Christians being put in prison and killed. And he thought he was doing God a service by doing that. So in the natural, can you see he had a lot to think about after becoming a Christian? You realize that the, the enemy had a lot of fuel power? You think about it. Who do you think you are preaching to the people that you persecuted and killed? Can you see that? And the guilt and the condemnation that he had to deal with, that he had to learn how to overcome, and he did, by the way. And here's what helped him see it. It's not by anything that I've done. I'm not what I am because I'm me. 
I'm not what I am because I've done these great things. I've gone to this great school. I've learned under, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrew, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I'm not who I am because of all these credentials I hold. I am what I am by the grace of God. And by the grace of God alone. In other words, it's the work of God in my life by His grace, which is His operational power. His ability to wash me in the blood of Jesus and impart to me supernatural endowments is what made me what I am. I didn't achieve this by any earthly work. And as far as he saw himself in his own eyes, he says, I'm of no value. I'm less than least of all the saints. So he maintained that attitude or mindset of humility. Well, on the other hand, he acknowledged what? By the grace of God, I am what I am. So you know what you can say tonight? By the grace of God, I'm a king. Had nothing to do with what I did or did not do in my life. Other than the fact that I accepted Christ as my Savior. So by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I'm a king unto God. By the grace of God. And let's, let's read the rest of that. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But because, you see, the grace of God came upon him, he labored more abundantly. You want to know how to get more abundant grace? Labor more abundantly. When it comes to operating, and not a work that you're doing to achieve something, but you're operating in it. And as you labor for God, and, 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 and as you employ the power of God in your life, it will increase. And that's the law of sowing and reaping. You sow to the Spirit, you'll reap of the Spirit. Isn't that true? You walk in the light of the knowledge of God and you'll gain more of the light of the knowledge of God. Isn't that true? You walk in the anointing of God in your life and that anointing will do what? It will increase in your life, will it not? You operate in the grace of God, the grace is going to increase in more abundance. Can you see that? You ready for this one? I don't know if you can handle this. Grace and peace are multiplied unto us through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. How would you like to have not added grace but multiplied grace? That's, that's 2 Peter. That's what it says. Grace and peace are multiplied in our lives. I like that. God multiplies. He doesn't just add things to our lives. He multiplies. And so through this abundance of grace, God has made us what we are. And so He made you a king. He made me a king. Not based on anything that I did. But I am what I am by the grace of God. And you are what you are by the grace of God. So in His own sight, He was a nobody. But in the sight of God, He was a somebody. And I thank God that He made somebodies out of nobodies. What about you? Amen. Amen. And that's exactly what He did for us. So he readily accepted who he was by the grace of God. And that's exactly what we are to do tonight. So if you've had a problem with low self-esteem, if you've had a problem with a poor self-image and all that, let him be the glory lifter of your head tonight. What you're actually doing and what I'm actually doing when I see myself in that way, I'm saying that God's not a very good worker. His workmanship's not great. Because here I am, he washed me in the blood of Jesus and made me a nobody. That's not true. He washed you in the blood of Jesus, and you're more than a sinner, saved by grace. You were a sinner, you're saved by grace, and thank God, now you've become king. I can just see some, some of them just walking over to where they're supposed to be sitting, you know, on their throne there. Let's say behind a desk somewhere, it's so dusty. The seat's so dusty because you haven't been sitting there raining enough. Look out now, the pledge is coming out. <laughs> Look out now. You're going to shine up that crown. You're going to dust off that seat. Get the cobwebs off from around that desk. And you're going to start using the authority that God has given you by His grace and start acting like the king that you are. 
Lift up your countenance, lift up your head, praise God, and just know that God's made you a king and accept that. See, this is the information we have to have. Next time the devil comes along and starts, you know, just playing roughshod with you and just acting like he's somebody big and important, you're bigger and more important than he is. In Jesus. I said in Jesus. In yourself, you're no match for the devil, but in Jesus. Are you in Jesus? Well, is is the devil any match for Jesus? He tried to be once and you know what happened to him then. You think he wants a repeat? I know he doesn't want a three-peat. How about you? Amen. Also in connection with this, you'll, you, you'll notice this. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Here the Apostle Paul once again is speaking. Had many open doors to the enemy, and unless he closed them through knowledge, he would have been overcome, I'm, I'm sure, through guilt and condemnation. An inferiority complex. Why? Because he persecuted the church of God. He was killing Christians. That's why. He was doing an injustice to God, although he thought he was doing God justice. But now listen carefully. He was so aware of who he was by the grace of God, and he so had the grace of God multiplied in his life in abundance so that he could reign above these things, he could actually make this statement in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 2. Receive us, we have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. Wait a minute. Aren't you the same fellow that just said you killed or you persecuted Christians? He did, didn't he? But all that was under the blood. He saw it under the blood. He didn't see it an active, everyday thing. He saw that under the blood. I've wronged no man. I'm in Christ now. I've wronged no man. I've harmed no man. I've defrauded no man. Can you see that? This was the image he had of himself because of the grace of God that was in his life. And that's exactly what God wants us to to do. He wants us to see ourselves as being who we are by the grace of God. This is what God made me. This is what God made you by his grace. And so he can make that statement and so can you. So no matter what has happened in your life, praise God, get a hold of the grace of God. Come boldly to the throne of grace. There is operational power for you. And if you've done a wrong deed, then there's mercy for you. To to obtain mercy and find what? Grace to help. Thank God there is grace to help. There is more grace to help. There is multiplied grace to help. There is an abundance of grace all around. But I'm afraid God might run out. (laughs) Don't be afraid that God will run out because he has enough to go around, beloved. Just get a hold of as much as you possibly can. And that is the operational power of God in your life, see. So how does it come through? It's multiplied through knowledge. And the more you start realizing who you are... See, then the more things control or dominion over you begins to wane. Never forget that. It's through knowledge. It's not just through prayers. Well, I prayed one time and I should have been set for life. Power of God came upon me and knocked me on the ground. I should have been set for life. I should have had another problem. No more troubles, no more adversities in life, no more challenges. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It doesn't work because someone prayed for you one time. Power of God came on you and knocked you on the ground. It doesn't mean that no longer you have any problems in life. You're set free for the moment. But when you get back up, shine your crown. Do you see that? Keep focused. Because you know the enemy's going to come with a counterattack. See? Get the knowledge, get multiplied grace, and be ready for the attack. So that you don't have an open door for re-entry. So let's not forget these things. They're so important. Also, in connection with that same scripture, Romans 5, 17, it went on to say, not only is it through, what? 
grace, but it's also through the gift of what? Righteousness. Before we turn to that, look at this rest of this verse. In verse 3, I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die and to live for you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I'm exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. Have you ever been just joyful in tribulation? What about exceeding joyful in tribulation? Oh, right. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In the world you have tribulation. And every time tribulation comes along, you're exceeding joyful, right? Just having yourself a party. You're calling all your friends up saying, come on over. I'm having a tribulation party. I'm full of joy. I'm in such turmoil and tribulation. I want you all to come over and rejoice with me. This is wild. It's wonderful. Isn't that what you do? Well, we probably should. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Call everybody up and say, I'm having a diverse temptation. <laughs> I'm counting it all joy. I want you all to come over for some pizza and chips. Or to rejoice for this opportunity to do what? To let God be God. Show that He's bigger than tribulation. No, the average king takes off the crown and says, Woe is me. I thought it was going to be better than this. <laughs> right? Or you call somebody up on the phone and say, you just won't believe what's happening to me. I'm just, just, I just, you just won't get off my back. And I hope you're not getting your mail read tonight. <laughs> Glory to God. But you see... That's because we're in the natural. See, in, in the natural, we respond to those things negatively if we're not alert, if we're not in the Word. See? And so we respond to those things as we would in the natural because our emotions, which are really a part of our lives, a major part of our lives, they're caught up in these things. And so the natural response is usually negative. You say, well, what am I supposed to do? It's a natural response. I'm a natural being. Well, God wants us to respond supernaturally, not naturally. We want a supernatural response from heaven, but we don't want to respond supernaturally. See, if we respond naturally, we're not going to get a supernatural response from heaven. But if we respond supernaturally, we'll make a demand upon his ability, and God will respond supernaturally on our, on our behalf. And that's what God wants us to do, see. And so here, Paul learned how to experience the grace of God in such a way that he could be exceeding, exceeding joyful in his tribulation. Exceeding joyful. And do you recall the one time, and I don't want to go into all this because there's so much to teach about this to, to get, get it clarified in people's minds, but I'll just bring it up for a brief moment. Remember when he besought the Lord to get rid of the thorn in his flesh thrice, three times? Remember the response from Jehovah God? What did he say? My operational power, my grace is my operational power is sufficient for you to reign as a king over your circumstance. He was not saying, I'm not going to do it, stay troubled. He wasn't saying that. See, God wasn't saying that. And like I said, there's a lot of explanation here. But what he was saying was this. The grace that I have given you, the abundance of grace, the multiplied grace is that word sufficient is more than enough. All sufficient, it means power. There is enough power in God's grace. That 
power of God is sufficient in our lives. His grace manifested is enough to lift up a standard or to, to rise up in an overwhelming fashion to overcome whatever it is that's coming your way. That's what God was saying to him. My grace is sufficient. So walk in it. Operate in it. Can you see that's what God was saying to him? So you see how important it is to know that we are to reign in life through the abundance of what? Grace. And Paul learned that. And so he was exceeding joyful in tribulation because he operated in the grace of God, which, which provided operational power to enable him to rise up as a king over the situation and reign over the circumstance. And if you read Philippians, it's he actually said that I have learned that whatever state I'm in to be independent of the circumstances, they don't overwhelm me or overcome me any longer because whether they're positive, negative, favorable, unfavorable, I've learned how to deal with them with supernatural abilities. Because he said that in, this, in verse 13. When he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See that? Wonderful. And then he went on to say this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. Not to turn to that one because that's our text. You already know that. That you reign in life as a king by one Christ Jesus. How? Through the abundance of grace and the gift of what? Righteousness. Everybody say Righteousness. And also through the gift of righteousness. Now look at 2 Corinthians, you're there, 5 and verse 21. Because when, it, when the Bible talks about righteousness, there's really two things that it's referring to. In our lives, anyhow. And the first thing is by understanding that our righteousness is a free gift given to us, imparted to us, when we accept Christ as our Savior. Christ was made sin for us so that we be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us so that we would be made what? The righteousness of God in Christ. Now wait a minute. He hath made us kings and priests. How do I reign as a king? By remembering I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. So you were made a king... But it's because he made you righteous, you can reign as a king. It's through the gift of righteousness that you reign as a king. It's through the abundance of God's grace, you reign as a king. And so I must understand that. I must have revelation of that. And so I don't become righteous based on anything that I did. I became righteous and so did you based on the fact you accepted Christ. And so then he made you the righteousness of God in Christ. But there's a second part to that. And that's found in, in 1 Corinthians 15. And look at verse 33. I must understand what it means to be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Walk in the light of the fact that I'm in right standing with God. My standing before God was granted or given to me as a gift by Jesus Christ. He became the sin that separated me from God. And now I'm clothed with the righteousness of God. And I can stand before God pure, holy, without spot, without blame. Isn't that wonderful? You know that has an effect upon whether or not you effectively reign as a king? It certainly does. Because when you know that you are righteous before God, it builds confidence inside you. It gives you what you need to, to exercise authority. You've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. That's why you can reign as a king. He's positioned you in that high office. And you are right before God. And that your rightness before God cost Jesus his life. And you know that. But you see, the second thing is found here, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, and here's where probably the, the enemy has his, his biggest stronghold in people's lives. Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. 
Communicating with wrong influences, in other words, can corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness. In other words, open up your eyes or understanding to the fact that you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Awake to that. Be alerted. Be be aware of that. Be informed. Be enlightened by that. Okay? Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. Notice again, the knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame. In other words, if we allow ourselves to be bombarded with evil influences through evil communications, then what will happen is, although we are the righteousness of God in Christ, those influences can lead us into a lifestyle of sin and wrongdoing. And if that occurs, what happens? How many of you feel really like reigning as a king when you miss the mark and fall into sin? No, what rules in your life? Guilt, condemnation, inferiority. Isn't that true? So that's what's reigning in your life. I've done wrong, a low self-image, a low self-esteem. Can you see why that's the, the, the enemy's purpose, to target our lives in such a manner? To see to it that we don't walk in the knowledge of our right standing with God? Or if we know we're in right standing with God, to keep us under condemnation. Why? So that we don't have boldness or confidence. To reign as a king. Because you see, if you know that, you're going to reign over him. He's beneath your feet and he doesn't want that. That's why in the book of Romans it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of Christ, uh, of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. See, and that's the knowledge we have to obtain. It's through knowledge that grace is multiplied. And it's also through this gift of righteousness that we can reign. And so we know that we are right before God. And if we've missed the mark, all we have got to do is go back to the instructional book and say, God said, if I confess my sin, if I confess my sin, if I confess my sin, and make note of this if you don't know it, it means to identify yourself with your sin. If you've done wrong and and you want to get right with God, or get that right with God, you're still the righteousness of God in Christ, but if you've missed the mark, you've, you've damaged your right, righteousness, okay, your fellowship with God. Now listen carefully. To confess your sin means you identify yourself with your own sin, and you don't blame somebody else for the sin that you've committed. That's what it means. You identify yourself. You don't go before God and say, Well, now, Lord, I did this because my wife... Or, now, Lord, I did this because my husband... Now, you know, Lord, I missed the mark because my kids, I'd like to see you come on down here and handle them. <laughs> you just don't talk like that to God. You don't, you, know, you, you don't blame somebody else. And that goes all the way back to the garden. You know, Eve said Adam did it. And Adam said Eve did it, rather. And she said the serpent did it. Right? They blamed everybody except who did it themselves. And that's part of us. We don't want to identify. But identify with your sin. And if you do, he said... He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all what? Unrighteousness, not in right standing with God. In other words, anything that would prevent you from reigning as a king in life, which is unrighteousness, that sin, that guilt, that condemnation that rises up inside you, that inferiority that it causes, see, you know you should be reigning over that, but you don't do it because you just don't have the strength that you need to do it because you're so condemned before God. And this will be a, another golden nugget that you can add to that thought. You identify yourself with your sin, which means you confess it. But then he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. And, and if you look that up in the Greek, what it says is this. 
He is faithful and just not only to remove or remit the sin that was committed, but any punishment due you for committing the sin. I like that part too, don't you? How many of you like that part? Thank God. So not only is it remitted, but also the due punishment, it's removed too. Thank God. Hallelujah. I, I like when, you're, when your dad says, I forgive you, son. Bend over. How about you said you forgive me? Bend over. I forgive you, but. There were days I thank God I was quick. But at the end of it all, when I had to go to bed at night, it wasn't the right move to make. <laughs> but can you see that? He wipes out even the punishment due you as a result of the sin committed. And that's, that's good to know. And what that does, it enables you. See, God wants us to, to walk tall. He wants us to, to know that, that we have a, a, a position of authority. We're hooked up with Him. He knows that there's a long way for us to go. But you see, He sees us perfect along the way. I like that. He sees us perfect along the way. Growing and developing. Reigning with Him. You know, this should be fun for us. Reigning with Him in life. Think about it. We have royal blood flowing through our veins. We are reigning with Him. We are seated with Him. And anything we enforce that lines up with His Word, I'm telling you, it's just like walking up to the enemy and standing there right to face and just saying, I defy you. And in the, like, just like David did to Goliath. You think Goliath was big? I'm going to tell you something right now. And if Jesus ever did this, if He ever allowed it to happen... Right behind you, when you start speaking out those words of faith and power, if he'd appear, I tell you what, they'd see how big Jesus is. Now, we've had that happen in situations where people have seen their angels appear. Where people would actually come like they killed to rob, to rob them or to kill them or to hurt, bring harm or hurt or injury to them. And God allowed the people, those, these were non-believers, to see the angels. And the, the, there's the believer just standing there and says, in the name of Jesus, you can't harm me. In the name of Jesus, you just can't rob me. Do you see that? And all of a sudden, these angels would appear, big old angels would appear, and they'd see these angels. And you think those people are there going to fight with these big warrior angels? Do you think that those folk would fight with these warrior angels? And you can, you get enough books, you can read testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony. I tell you, it still baffles my mind when someone came up to me and said, this fellow non-believer out there in Midland wanted to know why every time I went to the store, I had these two big bodyguards. That's what he asked somebody about, about every time I go to the store, why are these two big bodyguards following your pastor around the store? Or the streets of Midland. Now you think about that. You know. You never know who's crazy out there who's trying to do something to you. You know, but you know, God lets them see those angels. I didn't think twice about it. Think about it. And you know, you got to start walking around thinking like that. Angels have charge over you. And you're sitting on that zone. Loose them. Man, get them active. <laughs> I can just see someone saying, I wish he said something I can do. Let me do something. Let me take some wolves off some chariots today. <laughs> then warrior angels, I mean, they, they, they don't want to get, you know, tight and all that. They want to stay loose. Can you see that? Maybe you didn't get that one. In the days of Nebuchadnezzar, when they took all the, the wheels off the chariots, you see, to help out the Israelites. Angels would do that for you. Think about that. Angels will fight for you. When we were there at school in Tulsa, they, they tried to rob this one of these stores like a stop and go or something like that. And, you know, they stood outside there, just froze solid, waited for the police to come and arrest them. They stood there with their mouths open, just looking. Because they, and they said, why didn't you rob? Now, the police couldn't see it. They said, 
Those big angels, those big, they thought they were just big people, you know, bodyguards over there. So you see, beloved, when, when we start acting in this way and in, in, in speaking the word of God, we've got to keep this in mind. All of heaven stands behind what we're doing. All heaven stands behind what we're saying. And I'll tell you what, when you're hooked up with heaven, that's a majority. Amen. Amen. And so through the gift of righteousness, you're standing with God. And if you've missed the mark, confess your sin. He'll cleanse you from that. He'll blot it out. He'll remove the, even the, the penalty that was due you. As long as you don't let it go too far to where, you know, it's, you, you reap what you, what you sow. But of course, that means you didn't repent. But thank God he'll provide a way. Now, I'm going to add one more to this and we're going to have to close it. We'll pick it up on, on Sunday morning because there's, there's so much more here. But it's found in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, in verse 16. This in itself is a preaching message. I know you can teach along the lines of this subject, but I'm going to tell you something right now. It's something that just when you start talking about it, you want to preach. I don't know how anybody can sit in the pew and hear, uh, hear someone talk about the name of Jesus without just, just getting so excited. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, if you're going to reign in life by one Christ Jesus, it'll be through the abundance of grace and gift of righteousness and also by having a working knowledge of the, the power and authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's part of this knowledge. It's part of this revelation. You as a king, praise God, you are empowered and you have been given a name. A name that you depend on. A name that you use. And when they told Peter, Peter, by what authority did you do that miracle to that lame man, made him walk? Now, do you think he came up with some lame excuse? Or somebody who was of no importance or, you know, whatsoever? Peter was ready to answer. How did that miracle take place? Be it known unto all of you, but by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised up from the dead, he empowers me to do what I did. His name is the one that made that man walk whom you see and know. It says in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching, monitoring one another in psalms and spiritual songs. And that's the wrong verse. It's verse 17. And whatsoever you do in word and deed, do all in the name. That's your priestly one. In 17 it says, And whatever you do in word and deed. Whatever you do in word and deed. Whatever you do in word and deed. Now think about this. You're sitting there on that throne, and you're deciding what you're going to do in word and deed? You think you're doing it in your own strength, or by the authority of your own name? You don't rise up and say, sickness in the name of Bill, I rebuke you. <laughs> do you? I know Brother John's here now. In the name of Brother John, I rebuke you. We're just human beings. But I tell you something, when you look that disease in the face and you say, whatever it is, you say tuberculosis, you are a name. You say cancer, you are a name. You say emphysema, you are a name. You say whatever it is, that name is, but I've got a name that's above your name. What I do in word did I do in the name of Jesus. In the name. Now, I'll tell you something right now, you've got all, everybody's attention. Heaven, earth, everything beneath the earth, everything that is in existence. Honors the name. Everything or being in heaven, earth, or beneath the earth honors the name of Jesus. Are you ready for that? And as the king, you see, it's in his name you go. I'm t this is going to give a new dimension to the, to the Great Commission. 
You ready for this? Go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned in my name. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Oh, I can just see the light bulbs going on. You know, you know you're the king now, don't you? You know that. And you queens out there, you know that. Right? You know that, don't you? Guys, you thought it was bad yesterday. Wait till tonight. <laughs> think about it. Now, all that you do in word and deed, and, and think about it. He said, now you go and do what? Reign as a king in my name. I'm not going out and saying in the name of Bill. I'm going out and saying, I'm king, but he's king of kings. He's my king. And so in the name of Jesus, and there he is. In my name, there am I. Did you get that? He said, in my name, there am I. You, the king, said, in the name of Jesus, he spoke a word. There he is. You've got everybody's attention. There am I in the midst of them. All that you do in word and deed, do all in the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And it would do us all a benefit to study the power of that name and to use the authority of it and walk in the light of it as a king. But you see, I want, to, I want us to put all these things together. I want us to tie them all together. It's not just learning a scripture that says that, you know, I can do this. No, it's discovering who you are, where you are seated, your position in Christ. You are reigning with him. You are an heir of God. You didn't make it yourself an heir of God. God made you an heir with himself. A joiner with Jesus. You didn't do that. Jesus made you. Can you see that? The king. And so therefore, you have the right because you have the title. You have the power. You have the ability. You have the strength. You have the name that's above all names. And you've been commissioned to use that name to reign as a king in the realm of life. And so go, he says, and in my name cast out devils. So it's not in the name of Bill come out. It's in the name of Jesus. See? And you think those devils don't know who is and who is not empowered to use that name? Remember over there the sons of Sceva? Remember that? And they tried to cast out devils by this Jesus whom Paul preaches. And what did they say? Paul we know, Jesus we know, but who are you? And then, of course, they whipped on him, right? <laughs> Didn't they whip on him? You could be walking around saying, well, you want to know who I am? I'm a king. I've been empowered to use the name of Jesus. That's who you are. And as you use that name, praise God, then you've got their attention. Demons will have to bow their knee. That's all there is to it. Can you see that? So important for us to learn these truths and walk in the light of them. Well, we'll go on and share some more things and some more thoughts about how to reign as a king in life. But that one right there, you do not want to miss. I'll tell you what, I, I'm going to do this. Sister Joanne's going to love me for this. The Wonderful Name of Jesus is a book that we have back there in the library. <laughs> I don't know how many copies are there. But if you want to do your spiritual life some good... By E.W. Kenyon. Read that book about the wonderful name of Jesus. I guarantee you, in the morning, if you read it tonight, you'll pinch yourself to see if you're still the same person. It'll revolutionize your life. Oh, I'll tell you what, it'll just make you a 
wonderful fanatic for Jesus. <laughs> Amen? Get hold of a copy of that book if you haven't read that book. And should we run out of that book? Then Brother Hagin has a book out called the, the Name of Jesus. He uses a lot of Brother Kenyon's by permission. And that will bless you also. So between the two, there might be some to go around. But I guarantee you, you get a hold of that truth and you feed on that for a while, we'll just have to pinch you to find out if you're the same person. Amen. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.